We are keeping democracy alive. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. So yes, there's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. That people don't feel that they can do very much. You know what this is? This is a very Hamiltonian system. Alexander Hamilton being the guy here in a very un-Jeffersonian. In the case of the Republicans, it's dramatically the opposite. Uh, But even in the case of the Democrats. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans themselves. America's fascists are those people who think that Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. We're only seen as a financial sector that's uh, gotten out of hand. The shooting, the violence, that is not the drug problem. That is, in fact, the drug policy problem. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. Yeah, that's an interesting concept, the dignity of man. Of course, that was the voice of Lyndon Baines Johnson, who maybe he really thought he was defending the dignity of man in fighting the war in Vietnam. Other people didn't quite see it that way. But hiding behind that nice-sounding phrase, boy, it sure is convenient. And, of course, there are many serious issues at play in the 2016 election. One of them is the future shape of America's foreign and military policies. Because the Republican candidate for vice president in his recent debate made no effort to dress up his embrace of the application of American violence anywhere in the world if only for the sake of us, once again, being great, whatever that means, and standing tall in the saddle. It's a pretty direct, straightforward approach. On the other side, however, instead of the familiar 20th century hard-edged macho approach that uh, that guy uh, Pence takes, we're seeing the start of an effort to create a new language. Instead of the old, familiar image of bald-faced imperialism in service to American economic interests, throughout uh, uh, a new, softer, gentler nomenclature has been plugged in throughout the vast military-industrial complex. Kind of the same goals, perhaps, but different language. The question between Republicans and establishment Democrats is, not so much one of the actual scope of any future projection of U.S. military power. Possibly it's just the framing of the issue that sets the two sides apart. The phrase humanitarian intervention is being heard more and more often. It sure sounds a lot less offensive than the old-fashioned worldwide demand for empire imposed by great mechanized and sustained violence. My guess is it's intended to remind voters of how America used to be perceived in the world in which I grew up. The deep patriotism of my baby boomer generation was based largely on America's moral leadership in the world. We had just beaten the unspeakably evil Nazis. We'd helped rebuild our former enemies. And people all over the world did look up to America as a genuine force for good. But that perception came to a rather sudden and brutal stop in our war in Vietnam, where we defended a brutal government which made war against its own people. Although it was dressed up in some nice language, uh, the dignity of man, as President Johnson said. Actually, even before that, under Eisenhower's Latin America policies, the projection of power was recognized to be at odds with our stated humanitarian values. Hmm. Since then, we've had wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. 
uh, which I do not think can possibly be disguised as being motivated by humanitarian goals. At best, they have been about simply protecting national security against terrorists who seek our destruction. But I don't think there's any way the humanitarian intervention label can be slapped onto those realities. So what is our future? What about places like Syria, which is clearly experiencing a great humanitarian crisis? And there's Libya, which appears to be in total bloody anarchy with only armed gangs in place of real government. What, what kind of future is there? And what of this phrase, humanitarian intervention? Our guest, I'm very pleased to have back with us on Keeping Democracy Alive, Con Hellenin. Thanks for being with us. Con Hellenin is a columnist for Foreign Policy in Focus. His areas of focus include arms control and disarmament, Iran, Israel, the military budget, military strategy, and Northeast Asia. Uh, Most Americans are aware that the U.S. military is in action in places like Afghanistan, Iraq, and Syria. Less high profile is our involvement in Yemen and Somalia, which are countries, of course, in Northeast Africa. China is also very much in Africa as well. I wonder if you could tell us about America's footprint in Africa. And I've discovered an article this morning that talks about uh, our our involvement in Africa. uh, And it, of course, is about somebody whose name is going to come up quite a bit in this discussion, U.S. Ambassador to the U.N., Samantha Power. She is on a mission to save Africans from African savagery. Mm -hmm. She uh, is pressuring the president to send in the Marines or the U.S. Special Forces in Africa. And she's She uh, talked about the Rwandan massacres during which the U.S. stood by. And there was a lot of uh, criticism that the U.S. stood by. But she moralizes that we should be upstanders, not bystanders. She says, never again can we fail in our moral duty to stop the world's dark-skinned, backward people from massacring one another over ethnic difference. Uh, that is just a tad racist, I think. She, She simplifies it that the U.S. stood by when we should have had some humanitarian uh, intervention. She does not mention General uh, Paul Kagame. He was a Pentagon protege, and and he uh, was on one side, and he threatened to fire on UN troops if they came between his troops and those of the Rwandan army. Samantha Power, our ambassador to the UN, well, she blamed the the Rwandan crisis on uh, Burundi because the president there actually claim the constitutional right to be elected twice by universal suffrage, and he won by nearly 70%. She didn't speak a word of protest uh, when Rwandan President Paul Kagame claimed the same right and won by 93% of majority. So uh, the people's voice wasn't really heard. We picked sides clearly, uh, and I can't help but think that all this talk of of, uh, humanitarian intervention may have something to do with the fact that Africa is very resource-rich and that the uh, interests of our industrial, military, and political power elites might be in play behind her uh, careful humanitarian intervention anxieties. Uh, Sorry to go so long about this, but it's a a very complex uh, situation. And, you know, but then there's the reality of a lot of uh, guns and bombs and and uh, resources that, you know, we're not just defending freedom, as it were, there are certainly resources. So 
back to the question, what else, what else is going on in Africa? Please tell us, Con Hallinan, about America's real footprint in Africa at the moment. Well, uh, the, the United States has, of course, you know, it, it, people talk as if the United States sort of just discovered Africa. And remember, if you go back to um, the 60s and the 70s, uh, the U.S. was very closely involved in, uh, uh, in, the, in the, the civil war in Mozambique and Angola um, and supporting the apartheid government in South Africa, etc. So the United States has always had uh, a, a footprint in Africa. What it has never had before is a formal military footprint. And uh, this um, changed during the Bush administration when um, the U.S. set up uh, AFRICOM, which is okay. essentially the world is divided into uh, military areas of the United States. So CENTCOM, for instance, is the, is the military footprint for the U.S. in the Middle East. Um, and, uh, and AFRICOM is the, is a, the U.S. footprint, uh, on the African continent. Uh-huh. It actually doesn't have a, uh, an African base yet, because no country has given it no. permission to, to, uh, to set up, uh, um, official headquarters there. But, um, uh, I, I urge, uh, listeners to, uh, pick up a, a piece by Nick Terse. Uh, called Mission Impossible, Keeping Track of U.S. Special Forces um, Ops in Africa. Uh, We now have uh, military forces uh, either training or actually and sometimes engaged in in actual uh, warfare uh, in virtually every country uh, in Africa. Hmm. And, you know, the reason for that is obvious. Uh, Africa is uh, an area of enormous resources of both um, uh, human and 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 physical yeah. uh, oil, uh, uranium, Minerals. rare earth uh, elements, yeah. um, etc. And and there is certainly a competition going on uh, over access to those resources, mainly with China, but even to a certain extent, India. Mm. Uh, and uh, and so the United States has has uh, you know has, has sort of um, put this military footprint there. And now Samantha Power comes along and she says, well, we have this human rights crisis. And, you know, the thing I'd say about Samantha Power is that she's one of these people who kind of weaponizes human rights. No. She, she has a very selective view um, of, of where there are human rights, uh, rights crises, and they, all, they tend to be in, in areas uh, where U.S. has basic interests. So she's concerned about human rights um, in, the, in the Ukraine, and she's concerned mm-hmm. about the human rights in China and Venezuela. She's not concerned about human rights uh, in Saudi Arabia. She's not concerned about human rights uh, in in any of the Gulf uh, monarchies uh, or or uh, the so the civil war going on um, in both Somalia and Yemen, etc. Those don't get on her radar. The ones that get on her radar are the places that the U.S. has uh, interest in, and it's there that she talks about uh, humanitarian intervention. So. Um, you know, it's, uh, as they say, it's a weaponization of human rights. Wow, very selective. So who who is this Samantha Power? What Do we know what she did before? I mean, how did she get to be American ambassador to the United Nations? 
you know, that's that's not part of the Pentagon. She she was born in Ireland. She's Irish, uh-huh. um, and uh, it very early on, she got a uh, a foreign correspondent uh, job covering uh, the civil the various wars, internal civil wars in the Balkans. Um, and that that's what well, that's where she sort of got her her start and and where um, she that. covered the Srebrenica um, massacre and she was only twenty three I think when she uh, she when she wrote her book on the on the um, Yugoslav civil war and and that sort of that that was her that sort of started her out and uh, and then what she did was that uh, that book the book that she eventually uh, Produced from that, uh, won the Pulitzer Prize, um, and and of course she's now a United Nations uh, uh, U.S. representative to right. the United Nations, and she's also a very um, influential foreign policy advisor for the um, for the Obama administration, and has been since mm-hmm. 2008. So her particular views on foreign policy are, are are ones that you need to pay attention to because um, they carry a lot of weight and. If uh, Hillary Clinton is elected, right. not a certain thing, but uh, if Hillary Clinton is elected, uh, power will will play an important role uh, in uh, in that administration. It, exactly what she would do, I don't know, because I don't know what her personal plans are. Uh, she may stay at the UN. She may move into the State Department. Whatever, but um, she's going to have the ear. Um, of uh, of Hillary Clinton and uh, and this particular approach to foreign policy, yes. um, which is uh, uh, that she she argued in a in a an article uh, in the uh, New York Review of Books last summer that essentially elevated what happens to other people in other countries is in the national security of the United States. And then what she does is she lists three examples, and they are Russia, China, and Venezuela. Yeah, um, wow, tell you a lot yeah, really. about what her focus is going to be and, and how that policy is going to be used. Wow, Russia, China, and Venezuela. How interesting that those are her her concerns. Right. I mean, here, you know, here, the United States supported the coup against Hugo Chavez in 2002. Yes. It has led a campaign against Venezuela. Yes. Um, and, uh, and, and power is very concerned about uh, human rights in Venezuela. She doesn't have the same kind of concerns for Honduras, where the United States supported yes. a coup that overthrew the progressive government in, in Honduras. Duly elected. Um, yes. And then pressured Latin American countries to recognize that coup, uh, and and, uh, and says not a word about the fact that Honduras has the highest murder rate in the world, mm-hmm. and uh, where uh, where political activists, um, leftist uh, organizers, agricultural workers, etc., are routinely assassinated mm. by government uh, connected death squads, and and not a word about that. So. You know, the problem is in Venezuela, where the opposition gets tear-gassed. A few of them have been thrown in jail. In Honduras, it's a little different. They get killed. Um, But she's concerned about human rights in Venezuela and not Honduras. Well, Honduras is our ally, and Venezuela is, is in her book, you know, an enemy. Hmm. So suddenly, let's apply human rights to Venezuela and ignore 
the situation in Honduras. Selective human rights protection. How uh, isn't that special, as they used to say on Saturday Night Live? We are talking with Con Hellenin, columnist, columnist for uh, Foreign Policy in Focus, a very good uh, group that uh, shows a, shines the light on hidden areas of our foreign policy. And I you know, would have been curious to see, uh, she wasn't around during uh, America's relations with uh, Pinochet in Chile. You know, there were, it was an elected, uh, slightly left of center president there, Salvador Allende, who was murdered September 11th, 1973. And uh, I, I doubt somehow she would have said anything about uh, the abuses by Pinochet. You know, and and it, just using different language to carry out the same policy, I find yeah. a little bit troubling. And she was famously critical of, of, of Russia. Uh, she, you know, there's this widely held impression that Russia lopped off Crimea. They cut it off. Uh, you, you suggest that there's more than a little bit of hypocrisy in the U.S., uh, criticism regarding Crimea, it involves uh, uh, American uh, human intervention in Yugoslavia, uh, of which I believe she was involved. Well, the, the you know, I, I think the two uh, examples that I where you see where this stuff ends up um, is is one uh, intervention in Libya. Uh-huh, uh, yes, power led uh, a. a Led the United States on on that subject because because they got the resolution through the UN, um, and uh, what she was saying was is that um, uh, the Gaddafi was going to commit genocide uh, on the uh, on on, Lib- on Libya's civilian population. Now, there's absolutely no evidence for that whatsoever. I mean, the one statement he said he was going to kill all these people, he was referring to the. Um, uh, to the Islamic extremists, and uh-huh. uh, and and but she pushed that through uh, the resolution through, got uh, an agreement for the United Nations, which was simply to protect the civilian population. But then what they did was the U.S. turned that around and used it to smash the Libyan army, and now we have the situation we have in Libya now: a failed state, uh, complete chaos. Um, I don't know when that that country is going to come back. So, you know, behind quote saving the c- civilians of of uh, Libya. Libya from genocide, um, in fact, what it was was regime change, and 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 she's very quiet now about the situation uh, in Libya, which she is directly responsible for bringing about, and it's a complete catastrophe. The same goes for Syria. Uh, and again, you know, using the the issue of human rights, of which the Assad government certainly violates human rights, um, the using that issue, um, she has pushed for uh, military intervention and support for uh, groups that are fighting the Assad government in um, uh, in in uh, in Syria. And of course, the situation now is that we have a complete chaos in Syria. We've m- Millions of refugees, uh, except more than two million refugees in Turkey, almost a million headed toward uh, Europe or in transit to Europe. Um, and again, you know, this selective kind of uh, use of uh, of human rights. She hasn't said anything about what Turkey is doing yeah. internally, or for that matter, Turkish support for a lot of these um, extremist organizations. So, 
you know, it, it really is this selective use um, of the idea of, of uh, what she calls uh, responsibility to protect, oh, R2P. Yes. R2P. Um, or humanitarian, was originally called humanitarian intervention and is now uh, responsibility to protect, uh, uses that as essentially a wedge um, to uh, insert uh, U.S. military, political, financial, whatever, etc., intervention. Uh, in in countries, and it's kind of hard to argue against because sure, you know what she great. says is, well, we're saving people from genocide. Well, you certainly want to save people from genocide. Right, of course. Um, and and she uses the Rwanda situation, you know, time and time again. Although, as as you point out, she greatly oversimplifies the uh, situation in Rwanda. And in any case, um, the use of of uh, of genocide, um, you you can say certainly. I'm no admirer of Gaddafi, but there was no evidence that there was going to be genocide in uh, in Libya. Yeah. Um, but behind that, uh, we overthrew, we we engineered uh, regime change. And um, you know, my concern is that um, uh, if Hillary Clinton is elected, and I will have to say I intend to vote for Hillary Clinton well, only I. because yes. I think the guy on the other side is really crazy. Yes. Um, I'm very concerned about what a Clinton. Uh, administration would do. Uh, if you listen to the debate on the vice president, yes. you know, here were both uh, both of them uh, saying, uh, talking about a really kind of robust intervention yes. uh, into the Syrian uh, civil war, setting up no-fly zones and right. safe zones and all that kind of stuff, uh, which essentially will mean that the United States um, is is going to intervene in in Syria, which is a violation of international law, um, and and is going to be confronting not simply the Syrian uh, military and and Hezbollah from from Lebanon, they're going to be confronting the Russians. Uh, this is the kind of mm. you know interventionism that I really flinch um, from, and 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 of course my concern here is is that. In the case of both China and Russia, mm-hmm. you're you're talking about taking a more aggressive uh, foreign policy position toward two countries that are nu- nuclear powers. Yes, big. I mean, time. There hasn't been this kind of bumping up against uh, mm-hmm. other nuclear powers for a very long time, even during the Cold War. You know, there were all these kinds of things in place mm. um, that guaranteed that you know tried to guarantee that there wouldn't be. Um, a nuclear war accidentally or or that it would escalate to that level. Well, a lot of those things have, have kind of been dismantled and gone by the board, and now suddenly here we are, um, you know, uh, uh, facing off against nuclear powers. William Perry, the former um, Secretary of Defense, um, uh, Republican, has just written a book in which he looks at the nuclear situation. He says that in his opinion, Situation today is more dangerous than it has ever been, even at the height of the of the Cold War. And uh, I, 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 you know, he's a he's a smart guy, and he's he's the guy who was in on the very ground floor uh, of uh, building nuclear weapons and mm. nuclear weapons policies, uh, etc. So, you know, this thing that that Samantha Power does. Um, is uh, you know she really puts all of us uh, in harm's way mm. and and does it behind this cloak of humanitarianism 
um, that that when you when you unwrap it and you unravel it, you know, it looks an awful lot like uh, the kind of realism that Henry Kissinger right. and, and company um, you know developed during the uh, during the during the nineteen seventies nineteen seventies yeah and uh, the kind of realist foreign policy which is we do what's in American interest right. That's what Kissinger did straight out. There was no cloak of responsibility to protect. Uh, although, you know, they tried it in Vietnam quite a bit, you know, protecting uh, little South Vietnam from the bad guys coming down from the north. It wasn't true, but there was a little bit of that language then. And I suppose, you know, there must be some public relations uh, uh, motivation. Somebody must have figured out, you know, we have to move away from this, the realist school, the Henry Kissinger school, and toward uh, a different uh, alleged school of thought. Uh, that So there's this, the realists and the humanitarian interventionists. But, uh, you know, Kissinger, I don't think Kissinger would be upset at all with Samantha Power and where she's taken. I mean, Kissinger... And and Hillary Clinton have been mutual admiration people here. Yeah, and, and yeah, I don't think there's a huge. I, mean, I think this 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 kind of division between um, responsibility protecting and humanitarian intervention and the realist. Um, I, I think a lot of the differences there is illusion. Uh, you know, if, if we're talking about the realists, um, you know, these are are. Uh, this, Henry Kissinger's what mass murderer extraordinaire? Yes, you know, indeed. Guy who, who Cambodia overthrew, as you said, you know, overthrew the uh, the, the government of the Salvador Allende, who um, who played an important role in in the in the um, civil war in, in Nicaragua and yes. and uh, in El Salvador, yep. who uh, backed the um, Indonesians. Uh, um, military coup that ended up killing close to a million people. Uh, you know, the, 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 who you know who carried out the absolutely criminal yes. bombing um, of North Vietnam and 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 Cambodia and, and, Cambodia and Laos and etc. So um, you know, there, there's in terms of putting pitting one against the other, it's a little hard to come out with. Mm. You know, which is which is the worst. Um, we went into, the Bush administration went into Iraq, and while power did not specifically endorse the invasion of Iraq, right before it happened, she said that she thought it would be good for the Iraqi people, would be in the interest of the Iraqi people. Well, of course, it's been an absolute gold-plated disaster yeah. for the Iraqi people, and not just for the Iraqi people. I mean, it, it's the reason why the Islamic State exists. Absolutely. It's the reason why you have a war going on in Syria. Um, it, 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 you know, it's the entire region now uh, at this point. So it's, been, it's just been a catastrophe uh, for the region. And, um, uh, and, and you know, for, she's never really confronted um, that statement. Uh, so my feeling is, is that when you take a look at the realist versus the mm-hmm. humanitarian intervention, I don't really see a whole yeah. lot of difference. Well, I see what what's what's there is is American interests. What are what mm. are American interests? And right. they may be resource driven. They mm-hmm. may be political. They may be financial, etc. But they're American interests. The fact that we cover them with this idea that we that everything we do is moral, yeah. um, uh, is really for 
uh, internal consumption. I mean, uh-huh. No one else in the world shares that <laughs> view. I'm sure. Of, of Americans. Yeah, it's just a different packaging. And it sort of reminds me of that old song by The Who, Meet the New Boss, Same as the Old Boss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Talking <laughs> about uh, humanitarian intervention, responsibility to protect. Our guest today, Colin Hallinan. And uh, we, we, I mentioned a little while ago about uh, Yugoslavia and, you know, how there was, I mean, Yugoslavia was a combination of, of nations, really, uh, it doesn't exist anymore. But, you know, the U.S. very, very critical of uh, Russia for uh, slicing off Crimea. But what about uh, what the U.S. did with regard to Yugoslavia, which actually, I believe, involved uh, Samantha Power? How, well, it, it, one of the things she uses in this, in this article she attacks the Russians for is she, is she says that the, 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 the Russians sort of lopped off. Right. Um, you know, uh, a, a, a part of a country that is the Crimea, um, and, and you know that's not acceptable. But but of course the United States lopped off Serbia um, from uh, from from Yugoslavia, mm-hmm. uh, uh, or, or Kosovo from Serbia, um, and, and created a new country, mm-hmm. um, which which is not recognized. There's a number of countries do not recognize. Ah, um, interesting. Uh, you know the Kosovo, and, and I don't mean I'm not talking just about Russia. I mean, for instance, Spain doesn't recognize Kosovo because they're worried about the Catalan breaking off, from ah, yes. breaking mm-hmm. off from Spain. So sure. they're, they're a little nervous about uh-huh. you know kind of dismembering countries. But <laughs> I find it interesting that you know she she talks about they you know they they unilaterally changed the border. Well, we unilaterally changed the border too. Um, and what she would say was, well, you know, the, that's what the 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 people in in Kosovo wanted. Well, ninety six percent of the people in the Crimea voted to uh, return to Russia because the eastern part of the Ukraine and uh, and the Crimea has, has always been a Russian area, and then the the, right. the Ukrainians are, uh, are 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 clustered more um, in the center and in in the west, and uh, and so the the. The war that's going on right now is, is really between how it is the Ukrainians are treating um, the Russian, uh, the Russian-based or uh-huh. Russian, uh, uh, in east, in the east, and, and the Crimea, and they overwhelmingly uh, support some kind of autonomy. As far as the, as the, uh, the uh, Crimea goes, the Crimea was uh, was always part of Russia, but it it was given to the Ukraine by Khrushchev, who was a Ukrainian. Oh. Um, it kind of an oh. internal uh, reorganization. Um, it, it was never traditionally part of Ukraine. It was always always traditionally part of Russia. That's what the Crimean War was about. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, 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 this particular example, when she uses this thing about Russian aggression and all that kind of stuff, um, it's kind of amazing the way you look uh, you know, the way the, the way you you can kind of prism this information here is say the Russians are holding um, uh, uh, maneuvers on the, on the borders of the Baltic countries. While Russia borders the Baltic countries, there are no Russian troops in Canada and Mexico, but mm-hmm. there are American troops in Latvia, Lithuania, Sto- uh, and Estonia, Estonia yeah. which are on the Russian border. Yes. Um, so, you know, it's this kind of way that 
uh, one of the things you have to do in foreign policy is that you have to try to be in someone else's shoes. Yeah. And, and that's where you can tell whether or not um, another country's policies or actions really constitute uh, a threat to your national security. So from the Russians' point of view, uh, what they had seen was they had an agreement um, in 1992 with the United States. And the agreement with the, with the United States was that the, the Russians would essentially pull out of East Germany, and, and in fact they would pull out of, of, the, uh, of, the, of the Eastern European countries right. um, as yes, a whole. Did. Yes. Um, as long as the United States agreed that it would not move NATO eastward, that it would not make Germany part of NATO, that is the unified part, they would not uh, put troops in East Germany, and that it would not recruit any former members of the Warsaw Pact. Well, well <laughs> starting with the Clinton administration, mm-hmm. of course, mm-hmm. in the Yugoslav Civil War, the, the NATO has been marching steadily eastward and now yep. includes most members of the former Warsaw Pact. So from the, from, from the position of, of the Russians, um, they're not being aggressive. What they're being is they're being defensive. They see NATO marching eastward, uh, and you know the Russians are a little sensitive about their borders. I mean, they lost <laughs> twenty to twenty-five million people in the, in the uh, Second, Second World, World War, um, and uh, and and they're they're you know they're they're a tad paranoid about about their borders. Uh, I think you have to whether you agree with. What what the Russians are doing internally, or Vladimir Putin is, it's really irrelevant. The question is 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 what the Russians doing, um, uh, trying to reestablish uh, the old Soviet Empire, like, right. which is the way that it's characterized as uh, sure it's being packaged uh, here, yeah. by the by the Obama administration, or whether or not this is uh, this is a normal kind of defensive reaction you would have from uh, a country seeking. To uh, to ensure its own national security, and that's what she seems incapable of 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 doing. Um, and and the same goes for for China, for that matter. Mm. I mean, I think China's being a bully yes. in the South China Sea. Yes. On the other hand, the fact is that it w- was the United States who really set this off because oh, it started in, in, in 1995, 1996, 1997, um, when the Clinton there was a, a lot of tension between uh, mainland China and, and Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the Clinton administration uh, put two aircraft carrier battle groups into the Taiwan Strait, and the Chinese couldn't do anything about it. So they were not only humiliated, they were scared. And the buildup of the Chinese military dates from that particular incident. So, from China's point of view, you know, uh, they're not being so much aggressive as as it is that um, they're trying to ensure uh, that they they have their national interests uh, protected. Um, and from their point of view, the United States um, is attempting to ring uh, China with. Um, with allies, yes. um, is deploying anti-missile systems uh, in South Korea and Japan uh, that, th- that have potential threat to uh, China's uh, nuclear missiles, uh, and uh, and a kind of ring of of you know India, Indonesia, um, 
Japan, South Korea, etc., a ring of U.S. allies uh, that that sort of block off China. I mean that that, that mm-hmm. essentially wall China off, and the U.S. is putting uh, military forces, twenty five hundred Marines in in Australia. It's not much in the in the great scheme of things, but you know there haven't been U.S. troops in Australia since the end of the Second World War. Now there are permanently twenty five hundred uh, Marines. Uh, in Australia. So again, if you're if you're sitting in Beijing and you're looking at this, you say this is aimed at us. Yeah, this, they're they're coming after us, and so we have to do something about it. Now, what I think the Chinese are doing is a bad idea. I mean, mm-hmm. one of the things they have done is by kind of acting the bully yeah. um, for countries like the Philippines or Vietnam or Malaysia, etc. Um, they have united those countries against China and allowed the U.S. a kind of a, 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 an entrance um, in, into the uh, region so that the U.S. now is supplying uh, weapons to Vietnam, um, has mm. put military bases back into the Philippines, um, again is deploying the anti-missile systems of South Korea and, and Japan. Um, but I think, again, if you, if you consider... You try to understand the Chinese point of view. You don't have to agree with all aspects of what they do, but you can. It's a completely rational approach. Um, it yeah. their feeling is it is they who are under who that the aggression is aimed at. The Chinese are not attempting to, you know, create an empire or anything like that. They're trying to protect themselves, and uh, and that she seems unable, just unable to do. She doesn't seem to be able to take the other's point of view. And, and that's absolutely critical uh, in, in diplomacy. You don't have to end up agreeing with the other point of view, but you have to start there. And that's how you kind of can draw a line as to say, yeah, these people are really a threat to our national security, or no, you know, they're acting in a rational manner, um, to protect themselves. Then what that does, if you come to that kind of conclusion, then what you can do is you can sit, or, sit down and say, okay, how do we de-escalate yes. this situation? Hmm. Um, you know, uh, for one thing, don't put the missile systems in. North Korea is not a threat to anybody but its own people. Uh, and, uh, you know, don't, don't, don't do this Asia pivot where you shift 60% of your military forces um, into Asia. The Chinese are not looking for a war with the United States. I mean, they want to do be, business with all, us. It would be suicide. Yeah. Um, and they know that. Well, this... uh, and that's the thing where I, uh, I, you know, when you hear Samantha Power talk about all of this human rights stuff and, and you have to protect people and you have to defend uh, uh, human rights and all this kind of stuff, and then you take a look at what it means in practice. Hmm. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, what it means is the United States acts the way it always acts, only the, no it's difference. got a much, it has a moral, uh, you know, Mask. A, a moral agenda as opposed yeah. to um, a self-interest agenda. But in the end, it's really the same. And you would think there's so many cases, if we were sincere about humanitarian intervention, if we were sincere about responsibility to protect uh, one of our greatest allies, the Philippines. The current head of the Philippines is really making war on his people. You talk about a war on drugs. Well, there, they're serious. They're making a war. <laughs> 
it's a, a real war on drugs. A real war on drug users. They are murdering drug users, murdering uh, homeless people. This is our ally doing this. And what are we doing? Well, golly gee, not a thing, not a thing, because they're our allies. And we look. Well, at- for that matter, you know, we're 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 trying to rope Indonesia into. Um, into this alliance, and uh, the Indonesians are, you know, carrying out counterinsurgency warfare against uh, in Papua New Guinea, mm. um, and and, and the, we give military aid and advice to their special forces, which have been involved in murders and and awful stuff um, in in Papua New Guinea, and uh, you know that that's what we find. We don't, we, you know, that doesn't concern us. The main thing we want is we want them as our, you know, as part of this kind of alliance against uh, against China. And the thing is that the world knows all of this. Yes, I mean, it, it doesn't fool. We don't fool anybody um, uh, except Americans. And, and 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 so it's really focused on uh, the American public, and Americans just don't pay attention to foreign policy. No, they just don't. I mean, yeah. there's any number of, you know, any number of of, of um, polls that show people don't know where things are, and and it's, it's really not um, a concern for for most Americans. So, you know, they don't really have anything to to challenge uh, this point of view, and um, you know, it, it's 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 scary. I mean, it's it on two levels. Number one is the possibility, a real possibility. Um, of of some kind of serious uh, yeah. stuff with either China or Russia, two nuclear powers, um, and and the other thing is is that, that we're pouring this vast amount of national treasure into American foreign policy. I mean, uh, we spend just about one trillion dollars a year on on national security, uh, and that is, you know. That's seventy nine percent of of the uh, world, the uh, of the all hmm. of the spending in the world on 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 military forces. No, uh, and at the same time, you know, our students are one point three trillion dollars in debt, uh, and uh, you <laughs> know, quite graduating a with an average of between thirty one thousand and thirty five thousand um, dollars in yeah, debt, yeah. And, and and paying high interest rates. Uh, Etc. So, it, the effect of this is not simply that we um, that that we end up intervening in other countries and and uh, causing uh, you know disasters like Libya and Iraq and Syria, etc. But it also all of those things eventually come home. And yes. they, they come home either as you know wounded soldiers and in mind and body and everything like that. But they also come home indirectly. I mean, collateral damage, if you will. And that's the amount of national treasure that we pour uh, into uh, our, our national security system. And I, I mean, if you take a look at the oh. F-35, which is oh, a yes. new fighter plane, mm-hmm. uh, the F-35 costs $1.5 trillion. It's the most expensive weapon system um, that the U.S. Uh, has ever built. It doesn't work. Uh, the Marines just did a study on it, <laughs> and they have this 
thing, which translates basically that if you get into if 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 the F thirty five encounters a hostile airplane, what it needs to do is to run like hell and hope that it gets support um, from from its buddies. It doesn't work. I mean, it doesn't yeah. work. It's one point five trillion dollars. So the trade off is you have all of our students one point three trillion dollars in debt, and you have this one point five trillion dollar airplane that doesn't work. You know, uh, question of values, and you know. I think one of the this people in America, you know, we you're right, we don't have a very good perception of how the rest of the world perceives our footprint in their areas. I mean, we see the whole world as our backyard. They see it as, hey, I live here. But um I think most Americans would like to see us as a moral leader. I mean, it was really nice in the 50s when the world did look up to us as fighting the bad guys and fighting the Nazis. And so, you know, the phrase humanitarian intervention, obviously, you're right, it's for domestic consumption. But the idea of of really having some, like, actual responsibility to protect and humanitarian intervention, I mean, I think of Jimmy Carter, who had a foreign policy based on human rights. I may be wrong, but I don't think we started any wars under under Jimmy Carter. W- w- might that be a better, more realistic definition of, say, humanitarian intervention? And, and if we were, I mean, one of the great things we did after the Second World War was to help rebuild uh, uh, Europe, the devastated countries, and to go in there, and that the world loved us for that. Is it not possible that we could have some sort of a, a foreign policy actually based on human rights and that it might, dare I say, serve our interests even better now? I mean, aside from cutting the profits of the military-industrial complex, might it actually make us safer, do you think? Our our current foreign policy does not serve the interests of the American people. I mean, there's, there's clearly, no clearly. question Um you know, we, uh, I mean, besides, independent of the, of the, the vast amount of national treasure that, that we pour into places, um, we don't get anything for it. If, if that amount of money were used for things like essentially what, what happened in, after the Second World War, which is the Marshall Plan, yes. um, yes. and, and, um, uh, uh, there, there are there are a lot of things that that we could do um, to uh, you know put a lot more money um, into the United Nations, um, essentially to internationalize uh, foreign policy. Uh, that would be that would be in the interest uh, of the United States. I mean, look, the United States is going to have some serious difficulties uh, with. Uh, climate change. We're seeing them right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, though yeah. the the hurricane that's striking the the east coast, uh, uh, you know, there's gonna there's another one coming, and we know that uh, that oh, uh, real, yeah. sea levels are coming up, and oh, yeah. when hurricanes strike in the future, there's going to be vastly more damage. Well, the fact of the matter is, the United States doesn't put any in much into. Um, uh, uh, reversing uh, climate change, or at least moderating climate change, and preparing for it—that's right. what's in the national interest of 
the American people. And Bernie Sanders said uh, that and, very clearly. And, and we could do that. And, yes. of course, it would also mean that basically we wouldn't be killing people, which hmm. is generally a good idea. I'm generally not in favor of killing people. Yeah, it does, you know, and somehow I thought by the 21st century, the idea of conducting foreign policy by thrusting lead into the other people's flesh, you know, we, there might be a better way to do it. And to mask it under responsibility to protect and humanitarian intervention you know, we have to see through that. Is there any kind of a, a United Nations, like, universal definition of where humanitarian intervention might be appropriate? Is there a universally recognized standard of that? Well, the, the, the United Nations has a definition of genocide. And, and, yeah, and, right. and that's, the, that, that's a formal definition of it. Um, and uh, the, what, what the definition... Uh, uh, says is that, that in cases of genocide, um, international law requires um, intervention. But of course, the United Nations uh, is is not a democratic organization. I mean, if you think about it, here there are what 193 countries, I think, in the United Nations. I'm, I'm There's not, quite a few. I'm not sure about that figure, but I think it's about 193. However, the the Security Council. Um, uh, it can veto um, the vote of a hundred uh, of the rest of the uh, of the world. So you have the countries that emerge victorious from World War II. You know, China and Russia and Britain and France and and the United States um, and, uh, and China, and, and they have veto power. So um, it's really not a democratic organization. I think mean, one of the things you'd have to do to make the the UN really uh, function the way it should function, is that it needs to be made into a democratic organization. Security Council, wow. um, a radical. you know, it, it has to be on the vote, uh, the majority vote, um, of all of the countries in the United Nations. Now, you can do certain things, like, say, for instance, if it involved military intervention, you'd have to have 75% of, of the nation's vote for sure. intervention. Right. Um, so that there, there would be some checks. Uh, on it, but basically, what you have now is that you have the Security Council runs the UN. There are no representatives in the Security Council from Africa. There are no representatives. I mean, it, that is with veto power. Mm -hmm. There are no representatives um, with veto power from Latin America. I mean, you have these two vast, you know, continents, and 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 they don't have permanent status on the Security Council. That's not, uh, that's not an organization that, that's going to work for what we need now. I mean, we don't need less democracy. We need more democracy. Yeah, we that's need more we're... transparency. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, that's what we need in, in this day and age. Well, of course, and most... If that's done, I think that the, that the United Nations has the greatest potential to play the role of an international organization to confront the major kind of crises um, that face us today. And that, that includes climate change, includes terrorism, it includes um, economic inequality, it, it includes all of those things. Uh, the United Nations is really best suited to do this, but not under its current construction. And most people in the U.S., I don't think, would... would allow that, actually, because, you know, as, as Mike Pence said during his uh, position in the debate that, you know, we want to call the shots. Oh, the United Nations, 
you know, it used to be so radical back when the Birch Society was considered right wing, say the U.S. should get out of the United Nations. You know, we like to call the shots. We think we have some, uh, you know, moral rectitude. And, you know, OK, let's let's leave out the United Nations just for discussion's sake. If, you know, if we were motivated by some actual definition of humanitarian intervention. I look back in history to the 1930s in Spain, when the people of Spain were under brutal assault by the fascists of Germany, Italy, and their own uh, Francisco Franco. The U.S. did nothing, and the fascists won the Spanish Civil War, and it was a terrible human uh, catastrophe uh, in Spain. And under the humanitarian intervention argument, you would think it would have been consistent for the U.S. to have defended the Republic and at the same time strategically told Germany and Italy, hey, we're going to get involved here. We're not going to lay back and do nothing. So it seems to me, you know, if the U.S. were consistent, if we had like a, a Jimmy Carter uh, a foreign policy, uh, you know, it might actually work if we had real humanitarian intervention. But, uh, you know, just hiding under the mask of that. And we we you know look we look at syria today everybody knows i think you know across america even though most people don't you know really follow foreign policy we know that it's a terrible disaster this horrific uh, images of destruction of cities of children suffering the american people aren't comfortable doing nothing letting the slaughter continue so what what we people feel like we got to do something and I find it interesting that both the Clinton and Trump teams have agreed on the creation of humanitarian safe zones in northern Syria, which, of course, would require no-fly zones. What, you know, if we were genuinely concerned about, you know, humanitarian intervention and we see the horrible suffering in Syria, are we missing something obvious here? It looks really complicated to me, quite frankly. What's your sense? You know, Patrick Coburn's definition of Syria uh, is that it's a three-dimensional chess game with nine players and no rules. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, it, it, I, I agree. Now, there is an interesting piece in today's New York Times in the uh, editorial opinion page, you know, that basically says, um, you know, yes, the ceasefire has collapsed. Um, yes, negotiation is not going on. We just have to go back to them. Um you know, the, the solution here uh, is that we have to tell the outside players to, to back off um, in Saudi Arabia, Turkey, um, etc. Um, you know, you, you, you can say the same thing for the, you know, to the Russians, but the fact of the matter is, is that the, that the Libyan government, I mean, the Syrian government invited the Russians in. You know, yes. they're not violating international law. We're violating international law because the Syrian government says we shouldn't be there, and and you just can't intervene in another country and uh, under international law unless unless that country presents a direct threat to your security. Well, it's awful hard to argue that that uh, Syria uh, represents a direct threat to our security, because even if you say, well, the Islamic uh, uh, State represents a, uh, uh, a direct threat, um, the Assad government is fighting the Islamic State, so we're not allied in, in this situation. I mean, it, it's just an impossible, I don't, it is an impossible situation. Uh, again, though, I think that what you do um, is that you, in, term, in the case of Syria, um, is that you have to have 
the 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 major um, protagonists here stand down or back off uh, to a certain extent, stop escalating uh, the situation, stop the flow of arms um, into it, uh, and press for new rounds of negotiations and and ceasefires. I mean, at this point, the, the Obama administration is is debating, and Hillary Clinton. Uh, seems to be in favor of this, uh, uh, giving anti-aircraft uh, uh, weapons to um, the anti-Assad forces. Mm, well, mm, let me tell mm, you, mm, that is that dangerous. Happens, wow. The gloves are off, oh, and man. you're going to have people who you really don't want to have anti-aircraft weapons oh, in their sure. hands, oh, yeah. shooting down commercial airplanes, you know, all over the world. Um, it, 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 Pandora's box is, 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 is a mild way of putting this. This is just would be yeah. a disaster. Yeah. Again, the only thing you can do is, is to stay the course. And, um, mm. you know, I don't think what's going I don't think Syria is going to be over quickly. No. Um, but I, I, I think that, uh, there, there is there's nothing to be gained from throwing up our hands um, or making the situation worse. You put that no-fly zone in there. You no. put those safe zones in. And you're, you are a, a direct antagonist uh, in, in, in the Syrian civil war. Uh, and that has never ended up well for the United States or anybody else for that matter. And I can't help but think that maybe it shouldn't be Russia, maybe it shouldn't be the United States, maybe something called the UN or some, you know, if you Yeah, I agree. If you want to I agree. have humanitarian I mean, I think we're looking at uh, we really need a neutral body in here. And again, yes, the problem yes, yes. is is you do go back to that situation where the UN is basically an undemocratic organization. And so, you know, we're not going to change that right now, but eventually that has to change. There has to be a shift of power from the permanent members of the Security Council to the General Assembly. I mean, that, yeah, you know, that makes sense. Um, that's how the U.S. system works, right? Yes, President Obama can veto something, but the Congress can override the veto. Yeah, some of us actually uh, like democracy. It's a good yeah. thing. You know, that's what happened with the Saudi Arabian, uh, you know, uh, that you can sue Saudi Arabian yes, U.S. courts absolutely. Um, over thing. the possibility that they've funded uh, terrorism. Yeah. Uh, um, the president vetoed it. The Congress passed it over the veto. Yep. Um, you know, it, that's democracy. But when you can have six countries, basically one of them can say, no, that's not going to happen, and that's it. Yeah. Well, of course the UN is not, you know, doesn't have the power that it ought to have and, and, and it doesn't look as if it, it really uh, functions in a, yeah. in a very efficient way. Because well, it's not a democracy. Well, democracies perhaps can lead real... Uh, humanitarian intervention. Thank you so much. If people are interested in following uh, your work, Foreign Policy in Focus is a place to go, I guess, FPIF. Well, they can always go to my blog, um, which is uh, Dispatches from the Edge. Ah, Um, Nice title. And if if you put my name in, I'm the only Con Hallinan on the Internet, period. Uh, Sure. uh, And and my blog has all of my columns uh, by area, you know, Africa, Middle East, etc. You can read the Samantha Powell one. I'm just finishing a, a column on the situation in Spain.
and this upheaval in the Socialist Party, and oh what goodness. that means not simply for Spain, but what it means for the rest of Europe as well. Well, perhaps so, we can talk about that in another Keeping Democracy absolutely Alive. Absolutely, anytime. I'm always willing. All right. Happy to talk to you, Bert. Thank you so much. Con Hallinan, Foreign Policy Okay, thank you, Bert. Thank you. Thank you.